Welcome to Healthcare Upside Down with your host, Dr. Nick Vanterhaven, and brought to you by ECG Management Consultants. You can learn more about the show on the program's page at healthcarenowradio.com or on our blog at ecgmc.com slash hud. The U.S. spends more on healthcare per capita than any other country on the planet. So why don't we have superior outcomes? Why haven't the principles of capitalism prevailed? And why do American consumers have so much trouble accessing and paying for healthcare? Each week, Healthcare Upside Down will dive into these and other issues with ECG principal, Dr. Nick, and guest panelists as they discuss the upsides and downsides of healthcare in the U.S. and how to make the system work for everyone. And we end with your better pill to swallow, the conclusion to today's episode with insights on challenges and changes that improve healthcare. Now here's your host, Dr. Nick. It really should strike you as odd that the cacophony of reports continues unabated that healthcare is a poor experience. And news and media is filled with dreadful encounters that are oftentimes tragic as well as sad. But the profession is filled with people who got into their careers because they wanted to help people. When you talk to school-aged children on that career track, you find they're filled with empathy and caring. Most doctors can describe why they got into medicine. So can most healthcare workers. There are some who arrive thanks to some serendipity, but the vast majority of the medical professionals arrived at their career because they cared. They cared about people, understood others and their problems and suffering, and wanted to be part of helping. That was certainly my story and remains core in my driving principles. But the reality that hit me, and pretty much every other doctor, tempers those bushy-tailed ideals and in some cases pushes individuals to do the unthinkable as it did for some of my colleagues who committed suicide. For anyone listening who is feeling a sense of loneliness or suffering from depression or has any thoughts of suicide, please, please call 988. Remember, 988 to help you or maybe to help a friend in need. So what happened between the ideal and entry into long track and marathon race that takes that dream and turns it into the reality of caring for patients? You can look no further than the 2009 report in the Journal of Academic Medicine. The devil is in the third year, a longitudinal study of erosion of empathy in medical school. That demonstrated that the empathy score of medical students stayed constant in the first and second years of medicine, but hits a low in the third year and never recovers to the earlier level. If the very cream at the top that entered with those high empathetic ideals sees a decline, what are the chances that they can deliver more patient-centered care and improve patient experiences for a more empathetic healthcare system? If you're feeling downtrodden, burnt out, and your day is filled with meaningless administrative tasks, it can be hard to reignite that empathy fire, even on a really good day. But that does not have to be the case. We may not be currently doing a good job, but we can and should be. Join me on the Healthcare Upside Down show as I talk with Dr. Adrienne Boise. She's a neurologist and chief medical officer at Qualitrix. Adrian, thanks for joining me today. Hi there. Thanks for having me. 
So uh, healthcare is very focused on uh, the patient experience. In fact, what we talk about uh, or hear about in the press, in all of the environments is all of these facilities are looking to deliver patient-centered care. But is that the same as patient experience? Well, it's a great starting point. I was reading recently that um, if you Google, I think in 2022, there were 224 million Google results for patient-centered care. And this, this term was really born out of the Institute of Medicine report 2001 that introduced six concepts for improving healthcare across the board, some of which are still much needed today. And one of them was patient-centered care. And they defined that at that time as respecting the values, needs, preferences of a patient and incorporating them into their clinical care. And I would submit to you, we're pretty far from that if we gave ourselves a hard look today. Patient experience, I think as a definition, often people have come to equate that with patient satisfaction. I send out a survey for the inpatient setting and that's what I'm calling patient experience. And so I think we've got my neurotic brain trips up on these terms because I think we've got some confusion that we're all not quite clear as to what the ultimate goal is. And I would argue I'd much rather see us double down on the commitments around person-centered care. What does it mean to respect the values, needs, and preferences of both patients and employees in healthcare today and incorporate that into how we care for them? So I, I, there's a couple of things in there. First of all, 2001, and here we are, you know, 22 years later, and we're still talking. Great, lots of results, but not, I, I would posit, not a lot of action. Have we seen any real movement in healthcare that actually delivered against any of those metrics at this point? Well, I think what came out of that push early on was the value-based uh, push that both regulated programs in the United States and others have made around, we have to be asking about the patient perception of quality and experience to some extent in hospitals. And that became right a reimbursable program. Uh, and so hospitals are incentivized now to be asking about the experience I think the the opportunity though that I see on the landscape that's right in front of us is that can't be it, right? That we ask about, we send you a survey with 45 questions on it that asks you about your perception of one hospital stay. That is not health, nor is it a comprehensive holistic understanding of health. And many of those surveys have an actual checkbox on them that says, would you like us to contact you after this survey? And many, many people check it and then nothing happens. And so, you know, that's just as bad as not asking at all uh, that, that you and I would appreciate. And so I think what I'm seeing is there are organizations now in 2023 taking transformative leaps to say, that's not all we're going to do inpatient experience anymore. We're going to do that and we're going to ask around the biggest pain points, which are typically access, billing, and delays, as well as all the moments in between that healthcare traditionally doesn't even touch a patient, right? In between the when they come into the office. And so I think that's the future and the action piece 
right? So, I mean, part of why I'm at Qualtrics is because it's it's a, it's a capability that allows us to listen with intent, to understand deeply the emotional experience of humans, and then to act on what we hear and not add that on the backs of another human, but to automate and plug into systems organizations already have. So just to be clear, you've answered a question that I clearly suffered from cognitive drift at the time because I've checked those boxes and I think I've never had the follow-up and it's never occurred for, to me to actually follow up. And you've answered what I think is a tragic question that we ask that and then we don't see it. But you bring up those measures. And one of the things that I would push back on and say is, well, great, you get what you measure in this particular instance. We've seen that repeatedly with some of these metrics. Well, whatever you do, make sure you score, capture this information so that we can demonstrate. But in and they start out with good intention. Let's be clear. I don't think there was any intent to push things in the wrong direction. But we end up measuring things and not really improving that person-centered care. How do we change that? Well, some of it is about uh, being crystal clear on what it is that patients love about healthcare today and what they don't. Um, what they love about healthcare today continues to be these relationships they have with the care team, their clinician, their nurse, their advanced practice provider, uh, the team as a whole. Uh, and what they don't love are those pain points I just described in between. Uh, they don't love feeling the fragmentation of our services. Uh, they don't love you not knowing that they've been a loyal patient to X organization for 30 years when you call and pick up the phone. That's actually makes people feel invisible, unknown, and unseen. And so they expect, they have higher expectations in terms of what healthcare could be doing. I don't think their expectations are high. I actually think they have expectations that healthcare should be caught up with some of the rest of the world in terms of how we facilitate access, paying your bill, knowing who you are, and respecting your preferences. So it's an enormous opportunity uh, for all of us as we think about how do we leverage technology to really improve relationships and deepen that understanding of the human. So I, it, when you look at physics and you know quantum physics in particular you you see observation impacts the behavior and that's what we've seen with a lot of these survey tools and approaches is it possible to get that information without i, I mean i'm i'm trying to combat the heisenberg principle here but is that possible to do yeah well let's let's think through that um, on current regulated surveys today around experience, they don't ask about some of the things that are really important, both for clinical care as well as in the patient sense of feeling cared for. One of them is empathy, right? We don't ask, did we care for you? Did we treat you like a human being? Did you feel cared for? Is not one of the questions. The other question we don't ask is around safety. Did you feel safe in our environment? Did we take care of your loved ones? Did we practice safe? You know, we don't ask that from a patient standpoint. So that's one opportunity for us to improve uh, and to, to dream forward. The other thing uh, to your point is around what we measure matters. 
in my mind, this is about organizations holding up their values, right? You value compassion. And nearly everybody's got these on a wall somewhere in the organization, right? Our values are compassion, safety, integrity. And so this, to me, this is about we build trust in healthcare when we keep our promises to patients. And those promises should really be centered around those values. We say we... Um, uh, are compassionate, then we're going to take care of your family the same way we might take care of you. They are welcome in our facilities. We will treat them with respect. Uh, and we expect the same in return. You know, so I think part of where measurement could go is asking about how we live our values as an organization, whether you're an employee or a patient, pairing that with operational and financial data so that we get a much more holistic picture of what's important and what's going on. I mean, think of how important that is. We ask employees in culture of safety surveys, do they feel safe? Are they working in a safe environment? But we don't have a patient perspective around that. Uh, and we should, if we say we value safety and we can keep our promises. You know, we just came out with that uh, 20, uh, tw uh, the report around major trends in employee and patient experience. And in that, right, people are clearly yearning to be treated more like human beings within the system and to feel valued. It's a major thread throughout that report and research. And I, I think we have an enormous task, imperative, need to make sure we can live up to that and deliver it in how we care for them. So uh, the, there's a clear direction. I think even I, I would suggest a clear understanding. It's not too complex to uh, to turn to your employees, to turn to the organization and say, we need to be more human in our approach to medicine. Yet what we see is an entirely different trajectory, at least in my experience and certainly the experience that I track online we're seeing essentially a decline in experiences. We're seeing a decline in the delivery of those experiences. And, you know, there are contributing elements to this that are a struggle for anybody that works in this system. Pandemic aside, it just amplified some of this. Assuming that that was not even there, I think we were still heading in this direction. How do we turn that sort of, I think, clear guidance and counsel into actual action for an organization? Well, to your earlier question, there's a lot of what people term dark data, or or I'll call it dark data. There's a lot of dark data. We don't need to ask people about their experiences uh, necessarily through a survey. Uh, to your point, we should already know, I would argue, right? We have plenty of other sources of data to be able to better understand people's perspectives and where they're coming from, what their preferences are, what happened last time they were here. And so thoughtfully, uh, we should be harnessing that data differently to essentially build, um, here at Qualtrics, we call it something, an experience ID, but to build an individual experience profile of that person so that we may better anticipate what they need the next time we may delight or surprise them with something that we know is important to them. And we honor, um, remember 
the experiences they've already had. I feel like that is right in front of us uh, to grab and to do something with differently. I'll tell you on the employee experience side, the traditional approach is to ask employees once a year on an annual engagement survey with 55 questions on it. There's a theme here um, with 55 questions on it. And then we prepare organizational reports that could get distributed over a three month time period. And then you're gonna action plan for another two months. And then it's time for the next annual engagement survey. And, and that that's just an outdated way of listening. Um, the touch points need to be much more frequent. The switchable moments when people are thinking about leaving an organization, right? 75% of healthcare workers uh, are anticipated to leave the profession by 2025. 38% uh, of them are at risk for burnout. Right? I mean, these numbers are jarring. Uh, and to me, it really indicates we're not listening effectively. And if we are listening effectively, we're not moving fast enough uh, to intervene. And I actually think we should be listening to signals all along the way. I shouldn't, I shouldn't find out in a survey that that's when you're having a hard time. I should read the risk signals coming down the line and be able to intervene much, much sooner. And to your point, some of it's not all complicated. I just want to call that out. I, I, I have found myself in environments and have heard many stories of colleagues and friends who equally so, um, we just don't talk about emotion <laughs> all the time uh, in ways that we could. When my first patient died, nobody said anything. Like I, I was crying in a chair by myself, calling the, you know, the staff to tell them their patient died and it was 2 a.m. And it was sort of, why are you calling me? What does that teach somebody? It, it teaches me not to make the call the next time. It teaches me that I should put my pain in my pocket by myself and move on. It teaches me that the workplace is not a place where I can be my fullest self because it won't be supported. And I, I those are very dangerous lessons uh, for health, anyone who works in healthcare to have learned. I, and I think those particular lessons are playing out multiple times in multiple formats that we're giving that kind of biofeedback that essentially inhibits, which is a, a tragic notion for what is essentially defined as a caring profession. Ask anybody that enters, they all enter on the basis that they want to help people, but we sort of almost crush that out. So. You brought up a really interesting concept I want to explore a little bit. So you, you talked about the experience ID, which reminds me a little bit of the, the financial score that people have. And I don't know if this is true, but is it something that varies? And, you know, put to one side the negativity of, you know, being associated with a single score, but maybe it can contribute if we could provide near real time or at least concurrent uh, real-time feedback to allow for interventions that, you know, vary. So there are some days I can walk in and just not have too much TLC. I'm, I'm very happy. And other days when I really need positive energy and experience, and we could adapt to that. I mean, we're capable. Is that a notion that makes sense to you? 
Absolutely. I don't think any one of us is a number and we're certainly not a static number. Right? I mean, if somebody looked at my numbers, I can't possibly imagine. <laughs> I can't, I, I have empathy for them already. Um, but the, the, so none of us is a number and none of us is the, the role that we're showing up for, right? I'm not a patient showing up for my patient appointment. I'm just a human trying to get through my life and my day. And so I do think that uh, there's tremendous opportunity around more deeply understanding who this person is over time, being conscious of context, right? That can't be taken out of context. What you want in an emergency situation might be quite different than what you want, you know, when everything's fine. These are, we need to recognize those complexities to it. Uh, and it does allow us to intervene differently. I remember when I had delivered a child and I was having a really hard time afterward and the, the, the medical assistant blesser just looked at me and was like, you look like you need a hug. And I was like, that is exactly what I need. Um, and, and then someone else tried to give me medication for, I don't need medication. I actually just needed the hug. Mm -hmm. And if people spoke my experience language, my emotional language around that, if we knew that better and could provide that context for healthcare employees, um, I think we could both make better fits in terms of relationships and uh, do a better job making it, making those interactions more meaningful, more personal, more touching uh, in a business that is in the emotional business. So if I was to try and pull this together, I'd say it's it's no more of speaking empathy. It's actually delivering and engaging with empathy. But the undercurrent or the requirement in all of this is to have the data and the knowledge that is not based on sort of static once a year, like your blood pressure analysis, but rather an ongoing process. And I think importantly embedded in there is this passive approach to the acquisition of that, which, as you described, is essentially there. Is is that a, a fair summary? I think you nailed it. You know, the a whole a holistic experience. I mean, we you know we call it uh, experience management and created that category, which is really thinking about what is holistic listening look like for an organization. What do thoughtful analytics to understand? the emotion at stake in the context it's coming at us in and how do we act on it that makes life easier for everyone because it feels hard out there right now for most everyone. And so how can we make it all easier? Because everybody coming through healthcare is already worried about something, right? I'm, I'm worried that they'll find something. I hope they find nothing. I'm worried about my loved one, my mom, my brother, my sister. And so the cancer's back. I mean, and so anxiety is already high when we don't address emotion, it only amplifies or quite frankly, that person's not coming back. And we have strong data, both in that trends report, as well as just knowing one third of patients, if they don't feel uh, cared for or treated well by the staff, they're not gonna come back for care which means mortality is higher, outcomes are worse, costs are higher down the road. So it's not just an emotional imperative. I think it's a, it's a how do you want to run your business imperative. So I, all in all, great opportunity. Another 
potential inflection point, but it requires the application of this. And I just want to emphasize one additional point, which is it's not just about the patient, but this is about the whole community. As you described very early on, this is person-centered care, which encompasses all of the individuals that are contributing to it. And obviously, all of the people that are receiving it and their surrounding family. And that's all uh, elements that we have to take account of, but can and should, and then essentially deliver the appropriate uh, uh, care uh, to that group in a, uh, a, an empathetic organization. Adrian, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You know, that trend report showed that uh, despite it all, people still trust healthcare. <laughs> that healthcare is one of the highest rated, rated industries for trust. And that's a precious, fragile thing. We need to hang on to it. And I know we can do a better job. So the good news, as Adrienne points out, is that despite all the failings, people still trust healthcare. But we need to deliver on that trust. We cannot just talk about patient-centered care and good patient experiences but have to deliver by tracking and using every data point within our reach. In the quintessential words of wise Yoda, try not, do, or do not, there is no try. Your better pill to swallow is to deliver on the promise of person-centered care, a fully holistic approach to caring, not just for the patients, but the staff who are responsible for that by creating a holistic listening and monitoring infrastructure that's working all day, every day, to provide the insights and then acting upon them and responding to that data from the top to the bottom of your organization. Thanks for joining me, your host, Dr. Nick, on this week's edition of Healthcare Upside Down. Until next week, Keep solving the business of healthcare as if your life depended on it, as one day soon, it will. That's all the time we have for today. You can find all of our episodes on your favorite listening platform by searching for Healthcare Now Radio. Also, check out our blog at ecgmc.com hud for summaries and commentary from each episode. Follow our show's social hashtag, HCUpsideDown. And join us each week as we work to solve the business of healthcare for everyone.